Hey everyone, welcome to Drop the Mic. Uh, thanks for stopping by again for another episode. We've got a really great um, conversation coming up with uh, Tammuz Dubnov, founder of Scriptnomics. Um, really good conversation. Um, just a little forewarning, we we did this one on the fly at a nice little cafe. Um, shout out to Culture uh, 36 Cafe on 36th Street off of 8th Avenue, um, where we did our podcast. So uh, that was a really good podcast. I hadn't actually gotten to sit down. We've been really kind of playing back and forth with some dates to kind of finally talk. And uh, he's brilliant. I mean, he is so extremely smart and um what he's done for script writing is amazing i think it's a really great tool and you'll you'll get to hear a little bit about what scriptnomics is if you get a chance to make sure you uh check them out um at scriptnomics uh on uh online and um let's see uh if you have any events or anything that you'd like us to announce on our podcast future podcast, be sure to send us an email at hello at New York Film Loft and um, you know, let us know what it is and perhaps we'll mention it on the podcast. Um, we have some great other podcasts coming up. Um, we'll probably put out a few different podcasts um, before the holidays because next week uh, or as of this podcast, or we'll probably be in a couple days, um, the Thanksgiving. So um, we want to leave you with some presents early for uh you know the holidays so we're gonna publish out a couple of podcasts that we've been sitting on and um this one was uh this one is a really good one i think you'll enjoy it and uh let's see are we doing anything i don't think so um actually on december 1st we're helping we're working on a, an event uh with some friends of ours called yappy Yappy Hour, which is uh, an event for dogs and dog owners. Um, they can come out and have drinks with humans, um, not the dogs, but the people, uh, the owners. Um, you can come out and hang out with other owners, bring your dog, have some, you know, some cocktails with us, um, celebrate happy hour, and we're even going to have a Santa Claus during the week, so that'll be cool too. So you can bring your dog to meet Santa Claus. So. It won't be that night, but it'll be that week. Um, if you want more information, feel free to, you know, drop us a line on Instagram or Twitter at nyfilmloft.com or, in, you know, and we'll more than happy to show that information to you. Um, but coming up is Tammuz Adubnov, Scriptnomics, great conversation, learned a lot about um, what they're doing. Um, he's, like, really smart. I'm really jealous about that. And, um, you know, hope you'll enjoy the podcast. All right. Thanks a lot. See you in uh, two seconds. I can't believe you two took that raving lunatic seriously. What do you think this is? <laughs> Thank you for coming today. Um, I haven't, it's the first time we're meeting. So. First time face to face. And it's weird because I feel like I've known you for a long time. <laughs> We've been in touch for over a year. You, you have those, those email situations where sometimes 
the email relationship is like I've had I've known there are people I know on email for a long time that I've never met but we're like the best of friends there's like so for example the um, when I started out one of my first um, strategic partnerships with this company production hub I don't know if you're familiar with them but the woman who was like the marketing person at the time I I've never met her and this was like 2004 when we started down that road right 2018 I still know her she's moved on to another company we still email back and forth sometimes on Facebook or Instagram or whatever and we're but I've never met this person so I always think the power of email is amazing so yeah, well, we've talked on the phone a few times too. yeah and we talked on, yeah that's true yeah, so to be fair that's true so how did so how did we meet I think it was through Micah right it was through Micah Brown yeah and I met him through a, a friend who's an instructor, a professor at CSUN. Oh, I'm glad you brought this up because, okay, you sent me your mini bio. Yeah. And I'm not sure if I actually appreciated just how, like, badass you are. Seriously, dude. Yeah. So if I'm, I'm just going to read this word for word. I don't normally ever do this on a podcast, but I just thought this was worth people understanding this injury, that you're one of the founders of Scriptnomics, first of all. But more importantly, you're a mathematician and computer scientist that graduated from UC Berkeley. That's kind of badass. Why in the world? Like, so take me back to the, the days of where you're... You're 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 there, right? What happens once you leave college? Like where where where, where was, you know, like, because I know I I graduated with an advertising degree. I'm not working in advertising, so I think everybody kind of goes to school and then somehow you learn you fall somewhere else. What where that how did that happen for you? Can I ask you to read the next sentence in the bio? It'll help me frame it better. Okay, let's see. Graduated UC Berkeley at age 18, applying. His expertise to the filmmaking world, Scriptnomics supports screenwriters and filmmakers by giving them a data drive perspective for their... See, that is interesting to me. There you go. So now I can answer it better. So first of all, I graduated at UC Berkeley at 18, when I was 18 years old, with Wait, honors. you graduated at 18 years old? Yeah. Damn. Oh, sorry, if I had to make that clear. Yes. Um, God damn, dude. Okay. So I got into Berkeley when I was 15. Okay. So that kind of... Uh, changed my perspective in college. Um, I graduated with honors in theoretical mathematics and minor in computer science and dance. I'm sorry, what? Uh, and dance, yeah. <laughs> wow, you're an interesting fellow. Okay. Try to be. Okay, so, um, but where did, so, okay, you've got creativity in there because you've got dance, right? Mm -hmm. But where did, how did, how did you decide film was going? Because you could have been anywhere, right? You could have gone... I mean, the world is your oyster at that level of, you know, for a startup. Why, why film? Um, not gonna lie, that was less uh, my initial idea, and, and more so inspiration from my father. Oh, really? So my father is a professor for computer music. Um, so he has his kind of specialties: algorithmic decomposition of music. Okay. Uh, and he had this 
He has this kind of model for music, right. and he thought of a way to kind of extend that to narratives. And when you say narratives, kind of the easiest go to is film, okay. especially the screenplays, the way they're structured, the right. way that they. So there's a lot of theory about screenwriting, about arts and character development, and a lot of stuff to kind of ground ourselves. Interesting. So it started with him coming up with this concept. Okay. He actually able to like implement the, the concept we call it the geometric story model, okay. which basically means we take a script, we take a narrative, really, mm -hmm. we're able to extract the story arc um, in a very mathy way. Um, Interesting. And from there, kind of. And realized that was possible. Now the next question was, how well can you do that? Right. What does that mean? Right. So the next step was, okay, we can do this, and we even can get a very interesting visualization of a story. Mm -hmm. Where from the visualization, I can tell you if kind of scenes stand out, if characters are out of place, all this stuff that that if I wanted to read the the script and tell you, I would also need a degree in screenwriting, which I don't have. Um, but through this mathematical lens, we can do this, mm -hmm. and even more so, the analysis takes 30 seconds. We're talking about natural language processing, and machine learning, and big data, and in ways to really go through your script word by word in a way that's way faster than what a human can do. So, for so if I'm a screenwriter, which I am, um, how are you? Like, if you you know, and I imagine this was probably part of your your day in a lot of ways, right? Whereas. You, you know, a filmmaker or somebody comes across, you come across, maybe you're in an event and someone asks you what you do and you tell them what you're trying to do, how do you, um, this sounds really bad, I shouldn't say this, but it, for us, I, 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 since I'm one, I can say it, how do you dumb it down for us in a way to make it understand like the real value for, for like a screenwriter? Because I feel like, um, I, I feel like, because I'm like, is. I guess I'm trying to understand as um, as a development person, right? So I get a lot of scripts all the time. Is this for somebody like myself to kind of better, to kind of use as a, as a mechanism to be more efficient and understand what the script is kind of, like its inefficiencies of sorts? Or is this for a person who's creating the script, writing the script, that they can use along that journey toward the end of the finished product? Or is it both? So it's kind of everything. Okay. So the base technology has application in, in almost every step of production. Okay. Uh, and now a lot of our work is being able to not dumb it down, but just make it a little more approachable in the right language right, for right, each right. phase. Right, right. So if you're a screenwriting professional, right. so I'm going to say our breakdown is kind of a three-dimensional analysis of your script, fueled by the most relevant past and present data and crunched by cutting-edge artificial intelligence. And we do that so it's informed by the artistic and the creative decisions and ideas to kind of help the process for a successful writer to kind of quantify their work and then also for a, a producer to weigh that work and how to deliver it on screen, off screen, um, and what they can do to increase the, the chances of it being profitable, but also producible. Interesting. So that's kind of how we frame it. So for screenwriters, there's, a, there's lots of different ways to use it. One is something we actually do kind of often now is we get multiple drafts of one script, and then we use our system to actually tell you which draft is an improvement and which is not. Interesting. Um, so we work with a screenwriter, and we could really see, I think this was one interesting example where he turned his main character gay, and like the draft four. Mm-hmm. 
and there was like a bump in profitability. Not because that, well, sure. Interesting. One, because it gave it, also because of all the other ways that affected the story and how it changed the story structure. Okay. Um, now, how do you, how do you, how, how, maybe, maybe, this, I, maybe you don't, can't share this, I don't know, but how do you, how do you determine value, the value, like how, the profitability, I guess, like how do you, how, how do you, because that's interesting, I think that's really interesting. So that's tough because uh, I don't have a, the answer I'm giving you now changes. Right. So, the profitability score of a script, mm -hmm. the score we give it, whatever, now it's 2018, will be different than the score it gets halfway through 2019. Right. And that's because the, the system keeps learning a new film released, and based on that learning, the answer for your script changes. Right, sure, that um, makes sense, because it changed, well, that happens for any project, right? Because, um, what movie was I, oh God, I think it was, uh, oh, The Meg, The Meg. Perfect example. The Meg was made, what, 2018? Mm -hmm. So I think the book rights were bought in 97 for about a million dollars, right? From, I think, Disney. I think it, it was Disney or Sony, one of the two. But more importantly, in 97, George Clooney was attached to it. But fast forward, he wasn't. And I think the difference being, like, why it didn't get made in 97 versus... 2008 it was probably that situ situation, right? They get the idea in 97, maybe there was really no market, plus was other, there were other shark movies coming out, so there was, the profitability was probably negligible or low, yeah. and I bet if they ran it through, I think if they had done that usual tool at that time, they probably would have come, maybe they came to the same conclusion, say, yeah, maybe that then wasn't the time. Right now, kind of hot. Yeah, because that's actually a question I have for you. Obviously, timing is key. Right. Your story has very specific timing, yeah. and we know that's true in, in startups and business. Lots of things, timing is, is very crucial. Yep. Now, as a screenwriter, do you think about the timing of your story? Oh, uh, I, you do and you don't, right? Okay. Um, so, we all know that it's almost, almost an impossibility that you write a screenplay today and maybe you think, okay, I, I'm writing this now for this era, 2018. This is perfect time, yeah. But maybe you don't find funding, or maybe you can't get the actors you need, or maybe the, it gets put into Hollywood's just terrible, terrible machine. In which case, you, it, you know, these guys love it. But then there's a shake-up at the studio. The new guys come in, and new guys go, eh, we don't really like it so much. They sit on the shelf. Five years later, you see what I'm saying? So we do. We do write it for, like, you know, hopefully get that, but... It's hard. It's, it's really hard. hard. Um, and I found there's a lot of scripts that are just dormant. A screenwriter wrote it at some point, submitted it then. Yep. May have been too early for it. Maybe now's the right time. Yep. But that script is never going to see the light of day because yep. that screenwriter is not going to spend their their time and effort sending that script out again when it got rejected 10, 15 years ago. Yep. And and um, and I find that sometimes some you know if you're if you understand the mechanism, you think about the timing. Those people who don't, they're writers and filmmakers who just think my it doesn't matter. My film is going to be timeless. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's a my th- way of thinking about things. You, I think, and that's when what happens when I think yes, that happens. That they'll make this film thinking it's going to happen right away, and it doesn't happen, and so it gets, you know, like it may come down to a point where at some point, maybe in five years, it's a this topic is hot. We yeah, you know yeah. So yeah, even this, not just the topic, even the story structure, right? Yeah. So. Older movies are much more kind of story-driven. Yep. Now movies are much more action-driven. Yep. If you ask me, the movies that are more kind of evergreen and timeless are the ones that are character-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you just, as a screenwriter, it's a question of are you going to put your time and effort into pushing out content you've already developed, which is a script, right. or are you going to write new content all the time? Right. Um, and it's kind of a shame. I'm sure there's hundreds of thousands, actually millions of scripts out there no one's going to read might be perfect for audiences right now. Right. Um, you're not going to get production. Yep. Professionals not going to get it. Yep. Producers aren't going to see it. Yep. You as a screenwriter, it's already in the back of your mind. You forget about it. So I know that's one of the things we're trying to kind of account for. Okay. And with our ability to read a script, I'm going to say read, but our system we call it kind of scanalyze. Okay. Um, we do that in 30 seconds. We actually want to do that for every draft of every script ever. Interesting. And we want to do that for, let's say you upload a script tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I want to rerun your script. I'm not. We do. We rerun your script mm-hmm. every quarter. So that means for the next 50 years, your script is getting read four times a year and being quantified against all the movies released right now to see if audience had the audience flavor changed and now your script is the right script okay. and people want to see it. Do you, you know, so there are several different types of the script that will come along as well. Mm-hmm. So this could be one script, it could be the shooting script, it could be the blocking script, it could be all these different versions of the script. Is, is this taken into consideration? Or like, so my, I guess my goal is this. So when Avengers comes out, right, the first script that gets read in the, at, at the auditions isn't always the first the script that they end up shooting with, right? right. They always rewrite and rewrite and rewrite um, a script. Is this also something that we're like, because I, I think that would be, that's interesting where from a production standpoint, being able to say, you know what, rewrite three is much more, much better than rewrite five. And how, like right now, when I talk to well, screenwriters and producers, the reason, like rewrite, the, the inspiration for rewrite four is that some executive somewhere said, I want this in there. And now no one actually goes and says, rewrite five better than rewrite four. Right. Because it just it just is. It's part of the process. Right. But I know I talked to filmmaker and, and he has his film out right now and on Amazon. It's already been distributed. But he said he shot I think draft six mm-hmm. and he's almost convinced that if he if the shooting strip was actually his draft two would have been a better movie. Because at a certain point he was yes. overthinking it and kind of yes. just kind of the story lost touch. It is the old story of any author, regardless whether it's a script or a book. Sometimes too much work is not good, and, you know, and that's that's where having a good producer comes in play. If you have a good producer, a good producer will understand not to overwork the script because otherwise you 
you start losing things. A lot of movies that happen to, I, you know, I, I saw a movie, I don't want to say which one, but I saw a new movie that came out recently, and I could literally, as I'm sitting here watching it, I can tell you, I can guarantee you, I can tell you that where they use several versions of the script in the certain portions of the film because the tone of the actual film and the character changed. And it was almost like they said, oh, you know what? Let's, no, let's go back to this. Oh, wait, let's go back to that. And that is an ugly film. <laughs> so actually, I think you touched on two really interesting things. One is, I'm going to talk about the original screenwriter. Yep. And there's how many times that screenwriter redrafts until actually quality starts going down. And also, if that screenwriter has three different storylines in mind, right. how does he know which one's right? Yeah. I'm going to say, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to say, write all three, upload all three. Right. We will run through them. Right. And whichever one's the best will trigger our system. Right. But then the second step is, uh, producer picks up your script. Okay. You are smart enough to send him the best draft of your script. Right. So that he, so it catches his attention, right? Right. Now he says, okay, I'm going to go shoot the script, and I'm going to send it to my ghostwriters. And I'm going to send it right. to writers who are not the original writers. Right. Who have not... I worked with one screenwriter. She worked on her script for 10 years. Imagine knowing your story so well right. for 10 years. Right. Now hand it off to a screenwriter that reads it twice and then goes and redrafts. So many, the tone changes. The characters might change. You might lose elements, subtle elements, obvious right. elements. Right. Just not the, it's not the initial, the brainchild, it's like handing over your brainchild to someone else. It's, and, it's hard. Yeah. There's a, there's a writer, one of my favorite authors is this guy who writes, um, he writes a character, Spencer for Hire, he also writes a couple of, a couple other characters, right? Um, I've read almost all of his books. Great author, love his stuff. He passed away, I want to say two, three years ago. And I didn't know this, unfortunately. So a new book had come out, and I'm reading it, and like, I get about a quarter in and I'm like something doesn't seem right something weird it doesn't the characters don't feel like they care as much anymore and I was like I didn't understand why and then one day I was on Amazon and I come to find out read this article it's because the guy passed away and his number one ghostwriter ended up picking up the, the title and carrying it forward under his name and I was just like, and it just struck me right there. I was like, it matters. It absolutely matters. Yeah. You we, can't we fool bond to the characters. Yeah. And if it, the character is no longer true, we feel that. Yeah. That's like a, an instinct, a person, a human instinct that really, yeah, I think that gets lost mm. a little too often. Mm. Um, and it's dangerous. So, so, for, so as a writer, so with screenwriters, so, okay, walk me through this process, right? Like... I'm a screenwriter, and I, and I want, and I come across your site. Like, how how do I begin to work with you guys? How do how what's what do you need from us, and what do you need they need from you to to, to make it happen? Oh, super easy. Uh, you go onto our site, it's scriptonomics.com. You right. upload your script. Right. Give us at least thirty seconds. How long of a, how long are we talking? Does it matter? So it doesn't matter. So our right now we're talking like 2018. Our predictive analytics are only focused on feature films. Okay. But you can upload a short, you can upload a, a TV, um, any episodic piece, and that's fine. We will run it. Okay. 
is we may not run the predictive analytics if it doesn't fit the features, but right. we're going to get to it soon. So we're working on TV and, and different ways so we can actually tell you which is best. Gotcha. Um, and it's even interesting, even shorts are starting to get interesting. And this is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I talked to this producer who produces shorts, right. but he takes feature films, feature scripts okay, that he thinks are great. And then he produces a short version of it to help sell their content. That's a good idea. So we're almost thinking that we're going to flag features and say, hey, you should make this into a short. It'll help sell that much faster. That's a good idea. Um, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Actually, it's the first time because in my mind, the financials of shorts make no sense. Um, but if that's the motivation, that makes sense. What might also be interesting is the opposite because I've you know, I have my own film festival and I, for short film content and I would guess over the span of 11 or 12 years um, out of those 11 or 12 festivals I've probably come across about 10 or 20 films that I was like at the end of the you know, screening and I said to them, I'm like are you not making a feature out of this? because this, is, this, this, this deserves more of attention and, and a lot of them said exactly the same thing. They were like, well, my original idea was a feature that I created the short just so we can prove that the story was good enough to create a feature for. So I think, yeah, there's definitely a huge value for that. I mean, uh, I, even though like, there's different, the, the, the market for distribution of shorts has changed and has gotten better, I still think for a lot of filmmakers, yeah, I think shorts are a great way for them to test that model to, to say, and, and vice versa, you know, like to say, well, I can't make this feature right now, but I might be able to make a really kick-ass short, then use that to sell, you know, the idea of the feature to potential investors and my fans and those kind of people. Yeah. And it's actually, if you're giving a script to a producer, you need to realize you're asking for three-hour commitment at least Yeah. Um, for someone to read all those pages Yep. and hopefully read them in the right headspace to appreciate your story. Mm. If you have a short, it's a much shorter commitment and hopefully the producer is that much more likely to, to view it and, and listen to your story. But sorry, I got, I got sidetracked oh, on go shorts. For it. Yeah, yeah. I, I ran into that concept and I thought That's that really, really cool. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, but going back to our process, you upload your script. Right. Um, we made it very affordable, like super affordable, because we want you to upload every script and every draft of your script. Because okay. again, we don't know which draft or which script is gonna get our right. criteria. And you, yeah, right. um, but we also didn't just do it as a kind of profitability system. We also tried to make it a tool for screenwriters. Okay. So when you upload your script, you get a bunch of visualizations and breakdowns. Okay. Um, the most interesting one that's the most AI driven. <laughs> is actually a significant scenes. So there, we ask the system, what scenes do you think are most significant? And it can be right and it can be wrong. So now we found that it's right when it's closer to the final draft and when the story is very ready. Right. And we found that in rough drafts, it is often not right. <laughs> and the scenes that it thinks are significant are not significant. Mm. Um, and that's because of just the story is not clear enough yet. So that's one thing I always say is if you look at the significant scenes, do you agree with it? Do you not agree with it? If you don't agree with it, why do you think that happened? So one screenwriter we worked with in this kind of a historic piece, um, it flagged one scene as significant when it shouldn't have been. Uh, and we went and wrote, why is this happening? 
So we looked, and it was those scenes had soldiers come in and, and take two people away, and these two people were like a part of the story, not wow. super important. Right. And then they come back towards the end of the story, so the the AI thought, oh my god, soldiers came in, oh my god, these people are gone, and they come back later. This is a big deal. It wasn't meant to be a big deal. <laughs> um, and also, if you think of it from an audience perspective, you're watching this movie, you get introduced to these characters, now you're trying to keep keep in mind these right. characters you know so far. Right. And then you lose track of them, they're gone for so much of the film. Right. They come back, you have to go recall. You gotta go, oh, what happened? Where'd they come from? Where'd they come from? Who are these people? Mm. So there's, I think, a certain character, if they're important, they should be in the movie periodically or often enough so they're fresh in people's mind. Right. And if you're challenging your audience to recall this character from forever ago, Hopefully that's important. Oh, I think that's that's totally. I think that's smart. I think that's that's really important because you're right. There's been a number of movies that I've watched where a character was into, like kind of introduced in the like early stages of the film, and then you don't see him again for like for some like odd reason, and then they suddenly come back in a very important arc of the film again, and you're like. What were you standing outside smoking cigarettes? Why are the dudes getting killed? What? what how? Where did you come from? Yeah. And I think that chasm is probably what the AI sees and goes, mm, "No, that's too important. They, you can't do that." It's the funny thing is maybe the film, maybe the, the AI is enjoying the film and goes, "Hey man, they're my favorite characters. What's going on, man?" It could be. That's interesting. But then her redraft was just doing small flashes to them in prison. Just enough to refresh into audience mind. Uh, and so the AI realized, oh, it's not such a big deal. They come back later and we know where they are. So, okay. so you sprinkle, sprinkle them in a little bit just to keep them in relevance. That was the solution for that script. Of course, okay. each story is unique. Right, yeah, sure, sure. sure. But, it's interesting. So the, that's actually the first thing I look at. Where are the significant scenes? Are they, is the inciting moment there? Is the climax there? Right. Is the plot be there at all? Right. Um, if it's not, I'm like, why is it not? If, if the hmm. screenwriter has a good answer, I'm like, okay, fine, you've thought this through, that's fine. Right. Um, and then it's most interesting when I look at different drafts and I see it getting sharper and sharper and suddenly, oh, they're changing, the order changed. Right. And now I see the climax is higher than the inciting moment. Right. Um, and oh, like this plot B is now lower than the inciting, like all these things. Hmm. Um, I kind of think of it as an objective reader for your script. That's um, exactly what it sounds like. And it's, again, it requires a screenwriter to put work in. So we give them just the, the scenes that it thinks are significant and in what ranking it thinks are significant. Mm-hmm. Now you as a screenwriter need to decide, do you agree, do you not agree? If you don't agree, how can you fix this in your next draft? Um, so that's just, that's one of them. Hmm, um, interesting. Next one is we give you... Um, actually, based on our learning from working with that historic film, okay. we made a plot that is a, um, characters by scene appearances. So you literally get a, a plot showing every, it shows your scenes, right? Zero to whatever length of the movie is. Um, and then it shows a dot for every time a character appears. So hmm. then it's meant, actually, we, we say lots of things about this. One is, does it have a cold open? So that means in the beginning you see sub-characters and you only get introduced to the main character later on. Right. Uh, which is fine. That's like a known tactic. Right. Um, and it works. Like Marvel's really big into that. Yeah. Um, and it's a quick hook. So if you think of short attention spans, you want to hook them now. Right. And not... Basically, the longer you make the 
the introduction and the later the hook, the more you risk losing audiences that are becoming less and less patient. So actually, I kind of recommend um, cold opens more so than not having them. Again, of course, each story is unique, and mm. you need to make your decision for your story. Right, right, right. Um, but that's one thing you can see. Then you can also see if a character is gone for too long. Really easily, you spot, oh, that character's gone for so many scenes, is that on purpose? Right. Again, if it's on purpose, that's fine. If not, you should catch that. Um, mm. Then we also look at subplots, right? So plot B, can you see where that happens? Um, a great example is the Babel, where it's all, it's like three different stories, and it cuts between one and two. Right. One, two, and three, one's in um, Middle East, one's in Japan, and one's in America slash Mexico. Right. And there it's super clean, just because the script's kind of extreme. Right. But we use that as an example to say, these are your, your plot B. Your plot B consists of these characters, look at when these characters appear mm. there should be a pattern there like it shouldn't be a mess we've seen scripts that are a mess and a bunch of characters in and out they don't do well financially because there's no story right. you don't get connected to characters right. Right. even uh, like ensemble pieces like we ran it Stephen King it was just huge success Yep. and that's an ensemble piece Yep. and you think you always see all the characters all the time right. first of all you don't it also had a cold open that cold open did include the main character so it was kind of unique but then you can see that within the ensemble pieces there's like many subplots so right. the audience has the opportunity to really bond and get to know different characters so you show them all the characters all the time who are they supposed right. to be with right um that actually segues me to a different plot we have. So we have a plot where we break down the dialogue of each character, called dialogue concentration, and okay. then also appearance concentration. So basically that means how many times does this character appear relative to all the others? So a percentage, like from zero okay, to Okay, sure, sure, sure. How much does that character speak compared to all the others? So right. zero to hundred. Right. Um, and from that we're able to, we call it, we say kind of quantify who's the focal character. Of course, your focal character is the one the audience should follow the most. That means it's most likely the character that appears the most, most likely the character that speaks the most. Hmm. It doesn't have to be. We've seen movies where the character that speaks the most is actually not the focal character. Right. But almost always your focal character should be the one that appears the most. Yeah. Um, and if it doesn't, like that should that's a red flag. Um, hmm. And not to not to belittle audiences, but you're also confusing audiences if you don't show them which characters on screen the most, because they know they're supposed to follow somebody. Right. And if you make that confusing for them, that movie's that much less likely to resonate with audiences. So hmm. one is focal character, make sure that's clean. Um, and then the other ways we group them are driving characters. Mm -hmm. So those are characters that speak more than they appear. So if you think of it in the sense that when this character is on screen, right. they are speaking a lot. Them speaking a lot means they are most likely driving the plot forward, okay. which is why we call them driving characters. They are playing a very important role in the movie. Hmm. Um, an easy one is like the Oracle in The Matrix. Right, oh yeah, sure. It doesn't appear much. When she appears, cool. she has long dialogue. You know, she has an impact and you should be paying attention to what she's saying. And exactly. Interesting. Now, there's catches. Like if there's a character for a comedic effect and they're more humorous, they might speak and not that important. But they do actually serve an important role in a comedic relief. Right. But that's cases where you can say, hey, this character's not that important. Why are they driving? And it's all because they're comedic and whatever. Or it's a personality trait. There's explanations that kind of break the rule, right? But you better have that explanation as to why it breaks the rule, and not right. just kind of lose track break of the rule for a reason, not 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 out of negligence of sorts. 
Exactly. Um, speaking of comedic, I'm curious how you handle, because to me, you know, so comedies are a little different when it comes to scripts, um, because so much is, and maybe this is actually, maybe I think scripts might be perfect in this sense because there's a rhythmic timing to a, com a comedic beat within an act. You know what I mean? And I'm wondering if this, this, the AI understands, like, like with even within the film, there's an ebb and flow of how the com like a comedy, you know, where where comedy where it should be funny, where versus where it shouldn't be, and how like it, the, have you had to come across any any challenges with any comedies, or have you not, you know, like, are they are it, or it, it, it's not really the, any different. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good question. So, the way we wrote the algorithm, or actually the model, mm -hmm. again, it's like a, a geometric story model for your script. That means our whole lens for your script is the patterns within it. Yep. And the argument here is every script, does not matter what kind of script, should have a very, should have a pattern, yep. right? So that includes story development, that includes kind of climax, setting moment. That includes, really, we see, we look at the patterns in everything we can. So we look at kind of overall in your story what the patterns are. Right. From character development, what, is your, what are the patterns? Yep. And that means what dialogue does each character speak? Yep. What scenes do they appear in? Yep. What other characters do they appear in with which part of the movie? Yep. So what that means is at what scenes do they appear with which characters and how does that change from scene to scene? Uh -huh. How does that affect their importance? Okay. So we even do a network analysis to try and say basically how important a character is. So we can think a character that appears here and here but only appears with non-important character. It will know that this is probably a less important character. Okay. Um, and the idea there is we kind of have this whole producibility concept. So that mm. means you're writing a script, um, and, and somebody in our team is a screenwriting professor. So he always says. Uh, the very first script people write are either uh, completely unproducible science fiction that would cost so much that it will never be made, or it's uh, kind of biopic about their life because they think their life is amazing and super interesting story. Um, it might be. I'm not saying yes or no. Right. But either way, if you think your first script is going to be produced for tens or hundreds of millions, Good luck. Maybe you have a rich dad and I'm jealous. <laughs> Maybe you won the lottery recently. Maybe. <laughs> but otherwise, your script should be very producible. Right. And when I say producible, you need to be very aware of how many locations yep. are you using. And that means how many, basically, how hard is your location scout working? Yep. How many times do you need to move your production set yep. from this location to that? Um, how much is it interior? How much is it exterior? If it's exterior, what are the permits? How complicated is that? Right. Shooting at night or in day, if it's interior, it doesn't matter. If it's exterior, now you can only shoot in specific hours. Right. Um, that just makes the production that much more complex. Right. So if you, as the original screenwriter, and this is your brainchild, if you can optimize the locations, you're making your script that much yep. easier to sell. And you're not risking the producer saying, hey, I'll take your script, but oh, I'm going to send it to these um, ghostwriters, and I'm going to tell them we need less locations, this is too much, take and they're going to mess up. Take they're it out. Totally mess up your script. Yep. 
So that's a location. We call it location count. Yep. We even give you a, a count of the locations you use. We tell you interior, exterior, and then the thing we say to look out for is one-off locations. Okay. So that means location you're using once. Why are you using that location? If it's really important, fine. But if whatever happens in this location can happen in this other location that you've used 15 times, why not do it there? Also, if you think of it from a character, from your audience's perspective, they keep track of the locations. Mm -hmm. and kind of, from a human instinct, every time you change locations, it, they should instinctively try and see where are we at. Right. And the more you introduce new locations, the more often they have to do that. Um, which can be exhausting, can be right. exhausting. Um, but that way, if you do that less, you can have them, you can focus them on what you want them to focus. So, of course, you want them to focus on the traveling piece, then that's fine because you're really pushing right. a traveling element. They have to readjust all the time because, oh, right. new location, oh, new location. Right. This is a character-driven story. You shouldn't need that many locations. Exactly. Um, and oftentimes, not all screenwriters, but some screenwriters, they don't keep this specific element in mind. Right. Um, and they just need, they're like, I want a new location, I'll be here. Um, oh, yeah, don't worry. I've, I've seen my share of screen, uh, screenplays. Uh, a young group of filmmakers asked me to produce something for them. It was a web series. In their first episode, they had a budget of uh, $1.8 million. I, I was like, hey. And, and it didn't jive at all because, like, if you looked at the screenplay... I was like, you're just shooting in subways, man. Like, why? where's the 1.8 1. 1. going to? It didn't make any sense. I, I wish we'd have had the, your tool at the time because then we could have ran it and said, okay, I don't know where it's going. You're 1.8s. 1. 1. Unless you're doing it in the actors. And I, I don't see Brad Pitt assigned to this movie anywhere. So I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I theoretically, I guess theoretically, right? You could theoretically begin to give give a, a filmmaker the beginnings of a budget, actually, in a lot of ways, if you think about it. Because, oh, yeah. right? I mean, if your script is telling, like, analyze if you if you analyze your script and you've seen they've, you know, this is how many locations they've switched, and this is the number of actors that are in the, and you you theoretically could give them the beginnings of what their budget's going to look like um, down the road, given, you know, other extraneous things that probably, you know. Yeah, and uh, actually we do that a little bit. So we have guides on our site. Okay. And basically a guide is almost like a case study for a very specific plot. Okay. So the location one um, actually kind of groups it by budget. Oh. So the amount of locations you have is... This, very obviously correlated to the budget. Right. So if you think of the smaller films, you'll have less locations, bigger films have more. So if right. we're pulling up, let's say Titanic. Titanic has 145 locations. Of those, 129 locations are only used once. Huh. Um, yeah, well, I was right. Um, but their budget was 200 million. Right. So you can, 200 million, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, 200 um, yeah. Even Wolf of Wall Street, also a $100 million budget, they use 108 locations with 77 one-off locations. Um, okay, yeah. So that, that's all pretty extreme. Yeah. It, which was kind of more of a mid-budget, right. they use 69 locations with 43 one-off locations. Um, 
Mm. Let me tell you, like a different different extreme would be like Ten Cloverfield Lane, which is actually oh, right, 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 right. One location, pretty much. Fifteen million budget, um, sixteen locations with five one up. So you see that they're becoming more and more focused, even like Ex Machina, similar budget, I think also 15. Right. 36 locations, 17 one-off locations. And a lot of their external scenes don't even have characters. It's right, like it's the forest shots. and scenic shots, yeah. And that shouldn't cost much because, just because, yeah. Right, you use stock photography for a lot of that crap. <laughs> yeah, actually. Um, and I know there's one example that's pretty extreme. Um, I think, I think that's why think um, that's why producers like horror movies, man. Because they can. I was just trying to think what the numbers for Saw was. Uh, it was so few. It was really? pretty amazing. Really, Saw? Like the whole, the first Saw. Oh, right. I want to say it's like I don't remember that that one off the top of my head, but I want to say it was 15 locations. That's it, like everything. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, they also produced it for 1.2 million dollars. So teeny tiny budget, and you can tell they were smart. They planned it out. I always wonder, you know, just from a creativity standpoint, why, you know, I mean, I get it. I get why. I mean, you can't you can't do Avengers in one location. I mean, you, you could, but it'd be, you know, you get tired of seeing Captain America in the same room, fighting the same guy all the time. You, you know, I get that. But for the most part, like, character-driven um, screenplays, to me... Like if it, like uh, I had a friend of mine who produced his first film for I think it was 150 or 125. He used probably like eight locations. Nah, one I think it was one location, few different scenes, some a lot of it outdoors. Like his most expensive, he told me his most expensive shot was actually stock photography. And yeah. And uh, oh, and then oh, and there's a scene where in uh, Staten Island, along this road, where they um, he had to, he rented his friend's Lamborghini and did, had to get a helicopter shot overhead. He said that was probably my most expensive. Outside of that, it was one house, three rooms at night. He's like the wine that the three of us were drinking cost. 40 bucks and you know he's like I tried to keep it as low as possible because it was not about he's like I wanted it to be about the characters and the, the story and less about where they were doing this story I felt like and he's like I feel like you should have been able to take this story and put it any on any location and it would have worked he's like I just wanted to you know because he's like I ain't got no money he's like I had to beg beg for 150,000 so I so, said, yeah, I, I get that, you know. But and I don't. I always wish more filmmakers would do that, you know. I think that's where, you know, going back to the whole thing about short films. I think that's where, to me, the strength of short films is. Is that you are you have to do it in a limited. You 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 have you have to be so mindful of everything, the the efficiency of the script, the location uh, costs. Um, the, the, the short amount of time that you have your crew, all these things come squeeze down and compress your project. And, and, and I think sometimes that's the best thing to do is kind of treat, almost say, I, I can only go this much. It's almost like trying to pour, you know, two gallons of water into this cup. You know, it's just, 
just figure it out, man. You got to do it. Um, whereas when you start getting bigger budgets, like you said, like if you got a $200 million budget, you can do anything you want. And I think sometimes that, 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 and that's where I think it, it hurts the script. Because when you, when you have millions of choices, you take them. Yeah. And across a 150, 180 page script, you could, you could, you could tend to lose yourself. It's Titanic is super long. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, and that to me is where something like having this unbiased reader come in and go. It's a lot of locations. Yeah, it's a lot of locations, man. Just saying, you know, maybe maybe want to trim some of that down, and you know, and because it's so it's such a broad script. You're, this character, we haven't seen this character in a long time. I, you know, are they? Do you really need them? Yeah, each you really cast need. member is that much more expensive, that much more complicated. In my mind, the best story is the one that has just a bare necessity of what it has to have to tell that story. Yep. Um, yep. It might be action scenes. Those might be super expensive, and that's fine. It's okay. Be around the world, and that's fine if it's important to the story. Yep. If it's not, why? Why do you have it in there just for the sake of money? And yeah. you know, that's I, the best. The, you know, obviously, as a producer, of course, I'm gonna. I, I personally, I, I would hope you would think, let's do this as cheaply as possible. Um, only spending the money on things that we absolutely can't control. You know. Uh, I can control how many people are in the film. I can control how many locations that we're going to use. I can control when we're going to be shooting stuff. I can control wardrobe to a certain certain extent. But what I can't control is if it's an action film, this scene definitely needs a car flip. Okay, so that's cool. We'll do that. Um, I can control. This is a horror movie, and we need a werewolf. I need some pro- some prosthetic makeup. Okay, let's do that. But I can't control, you know, if I can't, if I can control, you know, you know, maid number six, who says three words, but you have her in like an integral part of the film, and then for some reason you bring her back for some reason, for what? Like, she doesn't carry forth the story at all. Yeah. So, you know, maybe we don't... Unfortunately, I'm sorry, but unfortunately, we don't need her. Oh, I, I even forgot to mention that in the, the appearance concentration versus dialogue concentration, mm-hmm. we have one grouping we call it contextual characters. Characters that appear more than they speak. Well, that's interesting. When they're there, they're just there because they need to for context. They don't necessarily drive the plot forward. Again, sure, there's, there's outliers, which means the character is going silent for 30 scenes because of something in the story. Mm. Something Little Miss Sunshine. Um, but otherwise, you really need those contextual characters right. if you're trying to cut down the budget. Right. So in my mind, you should almost write for a certain budget. And in that, you should be mindful of how many characters, right. how many locations, right. how much action to dialogue. Oh, another another outbreak that we do for you is uh, mm. action to dialogue of your script. And we do that kind of the macro, which means your whole script. Now, that's interesting because we find patterns of basically by the genre. Okay. Some, some genres are much more, let's say, action-driven, which makes sense. Right. Some are more um, dialogue-driven, which means character-driven. That makes sense. Right. 
Um, and sometimes it's 50-50. Hmm. So 50-50 means if you go to screenwriting school, they tell you it should be 50-50. Right. You made it 50-50. Right. That's fine. So those are kind of, if you have 50-50, it means you're mindful of it and you crafted it to be 50-50. Right. So then this doesn't hold, but if we're just kind of writing, I know that like action movies are typically 65% action. Right. Um, comedies and crimes actually are both around 65 to 70% dialogue. Right. Um, so if you're writing a crime movie, you should probably put in more dialogue and technical speaking to actual like action stuff stuff happening. Right. Um, are you doing that? If not, fine. But, but you should have a reason. Fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or thrillers are much more. They're about seventy percent action. I think. Um, and that's literally we're talking about the action descriptions in your script versus the dialogue. Right, 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 right. Um, and then we also do this on a timeline. So you see from scene zero to scene end, um, you see what is the action and dialogue of that scene. Right. So do you start with like a big action scene and there's a big spike in the beginning? Right. Or is it a few smaller scenes and then you get kind of the introduction? Right. And you get... Um, that kind of slow exposition. You finish with a big climax of action, and you finish on a climax on a cliffhanger. Right. Or do you put like a, I think Baby Driver, when they put four or five scenes of what happened to him after the fact, and in prison, out of prison, the girl waited for him, and you get that story, you get that result. Um, hmm. For example, I think of Logan from X Men. Yep. That one finished, and we look at the breakdown. The second to last scene had a huge Lots action, action spike, sure. which was also the biggest like climax action scene. Right. And then there's a tiny, tiny scene after, which is them walking away. Oh, like, right. Him. right, right, right. Um, that serves as kind of a closing and kind of closure. I don't know if it really counts because it's one scene. Mm. If they showed like five scenes of the kids then getting away, then finding a, their new home, right. it would be more of a result. Right. But there, they almost left it as a cliffhanger. Hmm. Um, again, this is on purpose. Awesome. If it's not on purpose, you should you should try and see what's going on. Interesting. And then we can also in that. What's really interesting is you can almost see the acts through this action dialogue plot. Um, and that's because you get big stints of kind of peaks of right. action and dialogue. Right. And that's when something big is happening. Right. And then you get snippets where there's barely any action and dialogue for like five or seven scenes. Okay. And you can think of that as kind of the montage of things happening in preparation for the next act. Damn, dude. So that, and we get this like right away. Like you give me your script, in right. a minute, I'll run it, I'll look at the plots, and I'm going to have an in-depth conversation with you about your script knowing nothing about it. Um, and that's actually an issue we have where we, we work with producers. They give us, uh, I think lately it's been three to eight scripts. Right. We run them and then we talk like, okay, this one did the best. We don't tell them what the number is for liability reasons for now. Right, right, sure. Um, and then I should actually talk about our big plans because that gets exciting. Um, but there, like, we start hashing out what's wrong with the story. And I, I start asking them what's going on in the script, what goes on in this scene. And then I jump to that scene. I'm like, is this right? Is this what happens? Right. And we really, like, start to, like, talk about potential improvement and what's right and wrong with the script without me knowing anything. Um, wow. So I think that's powerful in the hands of screenwriters. If, it meant if I can get all this information and I know nothing about your script, right. you as a screenwriter can get so much more information than I can. Um, and honestly, the workflow I would love for a screenwriter is one upload every draft of every script you have, 
I don't really care about the money we get. You'll see we charge screenwriters super little. Sure. Because they're not the way we want to make our money. We want to just have their script in case it's really great so we can flag it and, and reach out to them. Um, but if you're a screenwriter, my ideal workflow for you is upload your script. First of all, fix the story. So look at the significant scenes and make sure they make sense. Right. Awesome. It makes sense. Let's move on. Right. I think you should redraft one more time with characters in mind. Cut out characters you don't need that aren't important. Right. Make sure your driving characters are your driving characters. Contextual characters are contextual characters mm. and that your focal characters right. right. We also give you an emotional plot of each character mm -hmm. so you can see like, like the hero's journey. Right. right. Your character should go through a flux. That plot is interesting because to do that, we only look at the dialogue your character speaks. Okay. Um, which should some, what, it's a way for us to interpret their emotions. So you should make sure that there is kind of a, a big journey of happy, sad, happy, sad. Um, and we've seen in very character-driven movies, you can see that art. Really, like it, it matches the hero's journey almost perfect. Right, right, right. Um, which is really impressive that the character, the screenwriter did such a good job in character development. Right. So that's one redraft I think you should do. The next redraft I think you should do is actually your locations. Make sure you cut down locations you don't need. Right. Um, next one I call it action and dialogue and make sure that it makes sense. There's the act structure is there. Um, and again, see if there's, see if you fit the norms or you don't fit the norms, have, have a reason why you don't. Right. Um, that's about it. Even more so, like we have, if you want to go in depth, we even show you the character network. What that means is that um, it's a bunch of nodes. I'm getting Matthew. Let's see. It's each character connected to what other character. Sure. And then also the size of their circle is how important they are. So a character LinkedIn of sorts. Oh, exactly. Totally. Character. We do the same kind of analysis LinkedIn does for your characters for your script. Very cool. Okay. So that one is super interesting because we do it each scene. Okay. So it means you can literally go next scene, next scene, and see how that changes. So you can see in scene 25, a new character appears. So he's mm. in a tiny little circle. He's only connected to these other characters. Right. Next scene, he appears with these other characters, so suddenly you see he's connected with them characters. Mm. Four scenes later, suddenly a big thing happens. He explodes in size, and you see he's really important. Right. Um, so if you have, you know your story. I would recommend that you go through that and make sure it's kind of a perspective on what character is most important at what time in your script. Make sure that makes sense. Uh, Dude, I, I could talk to you about this all, all damn day. I seriously could. Because um, and I still have a thousand other questions. Um, before we wrap up, you said you had some... Big plan. Yeah. Can you oh, yeah. share a little bit about that real quick? Oh, yeah. So everything we're doing now is to help screenwriters improve their script. Yeah. And so that we get access to every script out there ever. Yep. And we do that so that we can run our predictive analytics. Yep. And see which ones are the best to produce right now. And if you get a high enough score, we reach out to you and say, hey, this is a great script. We think it should be on screen. We think it should be produced. And if you give us your consent, we then go and we profile all the producers. And when I say profile, we look at a producer, we look at the movies they did, we run our same analysis on those movies to get almost like a story profile for a producer. Right. To see which producer is the best fit for your story. Hmm. Um, and then we kind of flash. We play matchmaker. Oh. And that's phase two. Um, oh. Phase three is, okay, we have 
this information on the script, what producing talent should be there. Then we go to financiers. We say, hey, financiers, let us profile your film preferences. And then we'll match you with profitable scripts that are that we, nice. we identified. And the whole idea is kind of discover your script and then package everything for production there and then. And the end goal is for us to almost become like a studio of sorts. Yeah. I, I think of it as kind of a virtual studio. Right. We will never be the ones producing the script, but we're going to be the kind of the co-producer that puts everything together and hands it off to a production studio to produce. That's fascinating. So that's the, the big treat. A nice little pocket of of production chain of sorts. That's yeah. interesting. Putting the pieces together. That's very so. uh, that That's so. Do you know? I mean, I assume this is coming down the road currently, yeah. right? Okay. So we do, we, we kind of go bottom up. Right. So first screenwriters, we'll make sure, honestly, you think screenwriters are kind of the life, lifeblood of movies in general. You throw as much money as you want, bad right. story is a bad story. Right, right. You won't make money. Right. Um, so we want to make sure we cater to them. Right. And that we're, we have good relationship with them, we help them make better scripts so that then they, we can help produce better movies. Um, and then the we can actually fit that next puzzle piece, which is a producer, and then the next puzzle piece, which is the financials, and actually the financing. And, the, right. and there's lots of optimizations we do in terms of tax credits and where to shoot and, and all this stuff that, with math, we can optimize kind of to the dot. And then the next phase is even, we want to profile your characters in your script right. and match them with the right actors and actresses. <laughs> you see, Interesting. This character would be great. That'd be great. This actress. Because then actor. actors could, you know, like, if you, like, A, because I think from A-list, you know, A-list actors, right? I think um, as I talk to some of them and, and listen to some of them on podcasts and stuff, one of the things they always talk about is the search for the characters, the, the interesting characters, ones that they, you know, think would be really good for them to play next. Because they're trying to be diverse, or they're trying to be the same. I don't know, but you know. So being able to go and kind of almost go shopping for characters yeah. to play, and then and, and you never, you know, you never know too. Because like some actors will decide, you know what, this character, this this character, and this project's so cool. Maybe I should actually also try to produce it. You know, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you want to like if this is a perfect character? And you've got the ca the capital and the ability to do it because a lot of, you know a lot of actors have their own production companies. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to go? Oh, I want this. You know, I want to I want to be involved in this thing. So that's a very exciting man. Thank you. We're working hard. It's very exciting. Everybody. So, um, how can people stay in touch with you? Where can they find you online? How can people stay up? With, and more importantly. Um, can people like can writers go up and use the platform? Oh yeah, it's now? been up for a long time. Okay, a long time. It's been up for a year or so. So how can people find you on social media or anything? So, first of all, go on scriptonomics.com. Yep. If you want to get in touch with us, we have a contact page. Yep. If that that is suited for me, then it will make its way to me. Yep. And I'll respond. Otherwise, follow us on Facebook, um, Twitter. Yeah, all the social media platforms. Uh, you can try to find me on LinkedIn if you really want to connect. But if you want to really reach me, honestly, our contact page on our website would be the best way. Go up there and be direct. <laughs> be direct. Yeah, well, we've got a few companies already done touch with us. Oh, really? Yeah. 
I mean, just you're. This is. I, yeah, we have to have other conversations about because I I think there's a couple of other individuals that think might be interested in checking this out. Certain certain writers and stuff. So um, thank you for so this. Was really good. This was. I learned a lot and. Um, I'm very excited for what you're going to, what you're doing, and what the future for for screenwriters is. Given this platform, um, more people they need to. You guys, if you don't do anything else besides listen to this podcast while you're listening to the podcast, go up to Scriptonomics and check them out and try them out. Why not? Yeah. Right. It's not that. It's not that much. It's really kind of oh, affordable. really I mean, affordable. Super, super affordable. affordable. Yeah. Uh, and if you do you want to message me and tell me what your experience is, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, so there you go. Um, thank you so much for being part of the podcast and um, looking forward to talking more with you. Absolutely. And welcome come back anytime. <laughs> See you.